0: You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I am looking forward, we are wrapping up 1 John. I've got this week and next week, we're gonna actually have a guest speaker uh, for us in two weeks after that, but he's gonna be great because his name is Sean and it's spelled just like mine. We can never have too many Sean's in the house, just so you know, all right? You can never, unless you're my, you're my wife who's Susan, she's like, no, I can definitely have too many Sean's around. But uh, we're gonna finish up 1 John next week. But this morning I'm really excited about the passage that we're going to look at because John is really kind of tying everything together. He's kind of putting it all together and our theme has been authentic faith. It's been what does a faith look like that's the genuine, honest to goodness, real deal. Uh, I'm told that there are some 70 million dollars, is it 70 or 700, I may be missing a zero, million dollars worth of counterfeit bills in U.S. currency and circulation. That's a lot of money, an incredible amount of money. Do you know how to tell a counterfeit hundred-dollar bill? Do you have any idea how to do that? They, the Secret Service, or the Treasury Department, and those guys—they have put all kinds of time and effort into make it so that it make it difficult to counterfeit the hundred-dollar bill. And apparently, that is the most common, commonly counterfeited bill outside of the U.S. Do you know which one is the most commonly counterfeited inside the U.S.? Trivia question, at least according to Wikipedia or whoever I looked it up from. Apparently the $20 bill, I don't know why, we must be cheap in the U.S., but if you're outside the U.S., $100 bill is it. So uh, if you look at the current $100 bills that are being made now, the shoulder of Ben Franklin is raised. The ink is thicker, like you can feel it. It has a dimension to it. If you look at the Liberty Bell, or if you look at the little inkwell to the right there of Ben Franklin, there's a little Liberty Bell in it, depending on how you hold it up to the light, it flashes like the copper color or it'll flash like the green color as well. Uh, that's happening. Uh, go to the next slide. There's a couple other things that are cool. We, we all know about the blue security stripe in the middle, but you, did you know there's one to the left that you can't see? Unless you hold it up to the light, and I think it says like hundred and maybe USA, so you have to kind of hold it, or it's UV light uh, as well. And then there's some microprinting. Go to the next slide. There is uh, some special microprinting that if you look at Franklin's collar, see the, the United States of America. The very tiny fine print is hard to reproduce, and, apparent, and there's some as well along the, the uh, along the pen quill. I don't carry hundreds much, so I really don't lose a lot of sleep about, you know, about trying to figure out a counterfeit $100 bill. But things that are of value always are counterfeited, right? It's actually a backhanded compliment. Anything that's of value is a counterfeit. Let me say it this way. The greatest thing or the greatest possession, the greatest, it's more than an idea. The greatest thing is the only thing I can think of to say that we will ever own or experience in life is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is knowing the God of heaven personally in our heart. If that is the greatest worth of anything that is on this planet, should we not expect it to be counterfeited? Should we not expect there to be other things that are not quite true. The nature of a counterfeit is to make it as look as close as you can to the real thing so that you can't tell the difference. And we know from scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, there is an enemy in this world who's against all the things that God stands for, and he has made sure that he has put into circulation lots of counterfeit faiths. So this morning, we're kind of tying a lot of things together, looking at what authentic faith really looks like. And just like we saw in the $100 bill, I want us to be able to know the four or five marks of what genuine, honest-to-goodness, the real-deal faith looks like so we can not only evaluate our faith, But we can kind of consider the faith of the people that we love and help them to experience what that real faith looks like. So read with me, if you would, in 1 John chapter 5, the very last chapter of of 1 John. John says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, not that Jesus Christ, but that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not arduous. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Pray with me, would you? Father, I'm so excited to be together today with everyone that's here, both our guests as well as our regulars. Lord, I'm grateful for your love and your grace. And Lord, it's not an accident that any of us are in this room at this time and this day. I pray that you would use these words to powerfully transform our lives to challenge us, to encourage us, to bless us, to grow us. God, they are your words and they will stand for all of eternity. And we are privileged not only just to read them, but to unpack them, to apply them, and to have them have an impact in our own hearts. So God, we ask that you would do just that this morning. Father, we want to honor you. We want to hear from you today. It's what we need more than anything. And I pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I want you to notice the first mark of authentic faith. John says, he says a whole lot in here, and there's a progression here that we will unpack that's pretty pretty cool and pretty obvious. But I want you to notice the first thing that he says. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. I want you to notice there's a a circle, a progression that begins to happen. The first uh, piece or the first way to authenticate, if you will, a person's faith, our own faith, is to examine what they believe. You see, Jesus says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Notice the Bible doesn't say Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. I've mentioned that before, but Christ is His title. So everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one who would come to redeem us from our sins, to give us a hope and give us a freedom to be the victory over our sins. Everybody that believes that Jesus is that hope, that salvation, everyone who puts their trust on him completely, they are born of God. So the first test, the first rub of Ben Franklin's shoulder, if you will, is is consider what you believe about Jesus. Now this is subtle. This one's a little careful. This is much like the hidden little uh, the little security strip that you kind of got to hold it to the light on first blush. You might miss it because so many people will say, "Well, of course I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus." Doesn't doesn't everybody who goes to church believe in Jesus? You know, I, there it is easy to believe that that Jesus died on the cross, but not put your trust in him at that. It's easy to believe that he did something, but to not really trust in that something to be what saves you from your sin. So let me give you, what do you mean, Sean? Let me give you an example. See, if I were to ask somebody, or maybe one of you or somebody on the street, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Sure. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Well, that's pushing me, but I, maybe I, I can go that far with you. Okay, well, talk to me about, about your sin. Why do you believe that you could go to heaven? Why do you believe that you, might, that you would have a, a, a forgiveness of your sins? Well, I, I, Sean, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. I've gone to church. I mean, I've never killed anybody. I've never, you know, I've never robbed a bank. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed you know, rape or any of that. You know, I'm a good person, I've gone to church, I pray, I, I believe in God. When a person gives me those answers, do you know what they're actually telling me? They're telling me that they're not believing in Jesus as their savior. What they're telling me is they're believing in themselves as their savior because they're saying, I'm good enough that my sins aren't that bad, that I'm okay and I'm taking care of those. When that is our understanding, if that is your understanding, you really don't believe that Jesus is your savior. You really don't believe that he is the Christ. What John is telling us this morning is that our faith and hope has to be securely in him, not that we believe facts about Jesus, but our faith is securely, absolutely in him. You see, it's easy to treat salvation almost like uh, putting deposits in the bank. Kind of like, you know, when we do good things, You know, we we, we go to church, we pray, we help people we are nice or we buy something for somebody or we really do something good. It's kind of like making a deposit in that spiritual bank of salvation. And then we all know that we do a little bit wrong. And so when I do something wrong, it kind of like, you know, it's like taking money out of the bank. And as long as I can make sure I got more money in the bank than I am broke, you know, and I don't, you know, go into arrears and into the red, I'm okay with God. Guys, that is not trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus as the Messiah. That's actually trusting in yourself. And the Bible would say you have a counterfeit faith. Second mark that I want us to notice. John says, everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. When that faith is fully securely in Jesus, that we have trusted him and and called out to him for salvation we have been or we are standing born of God that God has done something brand new in our heart not just that we're adopted but he made us born he has made us alive spiritually when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior the Holy Spirit wakens our life in fact there's a there's a tsunami spiritually that's going on God is awakening our soul and we are born again and we believe in Christ and those two are inextricably linked And and there is just an amazing thing that happens. He, in a very real way, if you will, puts his DNA inside of us. John, the same apostle who wrote 1 John, says in John 3, unless a man or except a man be born again, unless one is born of God, he cannot see or cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this whole idea of being born again is a absolute prerequisite must of salvation absolute must. There's no two ways around it whatsoever. John says, if you really have real faith, you are truly born again. If you are born again, you truly have honest-to-goodness real faith, because the God of heaven has come, and he has made you completely brand new, and he has made you of him, something that is unbelievable and absolutely amazing. John has been talking about these things all the way through. Third thing I want you to notice, the third mark of authentic, authentication is when we are born, born of God, born anew, then we naturally love. You see, he says in verse 1, whoever has loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Are you beginning to notice the natural progression? We believe in Christ We have a personal relationship with Him. We are born of God, and those who are born of God naturally have a love of God. They love God, and they love others. In fact, in verse 2, he says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we obey His commandments. You see, when God makes us new, when He gives us that new birth, the Bible word for that is called regeneration. It's a, a new growth. It's a new beginning in our life. It, it sparks something brand new within us. And for the first time, we are able to reciprocate love to our Father in heaven. And for the first time, we're able to truly love from a pure heart, those around us, and especially those who are of the family of God. No, nobody has to command a, little baby and a young child to love their mother and father. When a mom and dad loves their kid, it's natural for the child to return and reciprocate that love. Susan and I with our eight kids, we never brought one or, any of our kids home and turned to the brothers and sisters and asked, hey now, you need to make sure you love this little kid, all right? They're a part of our family. Now we might have to along the way don't, stop pulling their hair, you know, treat them nice, you know, share your toys, that kind of stuff. But no, we never had to tell them to, would you love? Why? Because it's natural inside of them and part of that family. When God makes us anew with his family, he puts within our heart a love for him. That is that that love of God. And he puts in our heart a love for one another. That's why all throughout this book, he's been telling us, he's like, look, if you really want to know if you have real faith, look at the love. If there's real faith, you'll see a real, genuine love. You'll see a real love toward people. You'll see an honest-to-goodness love toward God. There's an absolute connection there. Now, we've talked a lot about love, so I'm not going to camp out there. What I really want you to notice, though, is what now that love causes us to do. Look what he says in verse three. I'll read, read it again, or excuse me, verse two. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, and we obey His commandments. For this is the love of God. This is the love that we have for God is what that means. This is an expression. This is the way that we love God, that when we keep His commandments and His commandments are not categorically not burdensome. Notice the connection between love and obedience to God. You see, if we really love the way the Bible tells us, it's going to lead us to obey. Our faith, our belief, doesn't just stay in a vacuum. There's a natural forward progression in all of this, a tying together, if you will, and, and, and it leads ultimately to our obedience to a, to a God in heaven. You see, the best way to truly love God is to obey Him. It's it's not to drive down the car with the windows down and the wind blowing in your hair, or in my case, what little hair you've got, you know, uh, and singing at the top of your lungs to the latest Christian song that you like. It's okay if you do that. It can be a great expression to God. um, And we're called to worship Him for sure and to glory and honor Him. But to then to turn around and and disobey him in other areas of our life is an an offense to him. You see, it's our natural response to God is to obey him because he's God. He has authority over us. And our obedience, when it comes out of love, it's not legalism. It's not burdensome. Think about it this way. I don't. I don't go to my wife and say, "Honey, I know that when we got married, I promised to love you and you only, and not to, you know, pursue another woman." But that's kind of legalistic, don't you think? You know, I, that's kind of foolish, right? I just, honey, that's a little burdensome. You know, I mean, what's it gonna hurt? You know, what's, honey? It's okay if I watch a few of these videos online that you know are so offensive to you. What's? It's just a little bit of you know, pornography? What's the big deal? Honey, I know that I said I was going to be true to you and I was going to, you know, love you and demonstrate you, but do I really have to pick my underwear up off the floor every day? Like, you know, can it's okay if it just piles up? Do I really need to help out around the house? And do I really, this is, this is burdensome, honey. Do I, do I really need to do this stuff? Can I just sit here? Of course that's silly, right? You see, our love for God teaches us that we want to live in a way that honors him and his commandments aren't a burden. Who thinks that rules are burdens? I'm not, I'm not actually asking you to raise your hand. <laughs> I realize like, oh, they're going to raise their hand up and it's going to ruin my whole point. Uh, yeah, there are some rules that are burdens for sure. There's tax rules going out. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going out there just absolutely insane. But um, let me just say it this way. Are kids or adults, kids and teenagers more likely to complain about the rules than adults? Really should be kids, right? It's really a sign. I mean, I can complain about some of the stuff too. But mom, why do I have to do that? Mom, it doesn't make sense. Why can't I I just want all my friends are doing? That's a kid thing to do. That's a teenager thing to do. When you and I see that the things that God commands us to do, that he wants us to do, when we see them as a burden, what it actually is saying is is that our faith is rather immature. It's It's not God that's the issue, it's us. And when our obedience to God comes out of a love relationship with God, it's not legalism. It's just what's right and good and healthy and wholesome because I love God. I'm going to do those things because I love my wife. I'm going to act a certain way and I'm going to do certain things along the way because I I love her. It's natural. So as you think about your own faith, if you have areas of your life where you are willfully disobedient, willfully negligent, willfully making excuses, in essence you're saying that your God's rules over you are burdensome and there's something flawed in your faith I want you to notice the next the next piece in this whole circuit and we're going to talk about a little bit about it more this obedience faith issue then is what leads us to victory in verse 4 everyone who's been born of God notice we keep coming back to that that really is the big rock that moves this whole passage are you born of God or not But everyone who's been born of God overcomes, literally has has victory over the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world. He comes back around in full circle. It's our faith. Who is it that has victory or that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We started out talking about believing that Jesus is the Christ. We end up talking about Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, God who became man and who redeemed us as the, the savior of the world. So as we see this cycle, John is telling us what our salvation is all about. Believing in Jesus is the Christ, being born of God, loving God and others, obeying God's commands. That is what gives us victory in the world around us. We looked earlier in John that the world around us is what attracts us. It's the, 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 the desires of our flesh, our, our, our physical appetites, the, the, the desires of our eyes, the things that we see around the world around us, the, the pride that we begin to have, the things that, that give us a, a pride and an ego and a, a, a self, if you will, those are the things that the world is offering up to us day after day after day. It's just like literally going through life and walking your entire life, walking through the aisle of the mall. You know, they always have the end caps and everything just out in front of you that you literally have to dodge around. You can't make a straight line to what you want to get. And they're offering just wanting you to buy and sell and do this and be attracted to that and have all of those things. Or online, if you're, you're shopping online and all of the pop-up, hey, you, know, you looked at this, you must want this, this, and this. And I'm telling them, no, if I wanted to look at this, this, and this, I would have, but I didn't. I wanted to look at that. They, that all of this that's around you. Our life is lived that way that as we get up in the morning, our eyes see all kinds of things around us, not just I'm talking about sales on the internet or the mall, but things around us, the, the covetousness, the, law, the, the lustfulness. The, the temptations of pride and arrogance and self-confidence and all of those things, the, the cravings of our body. What John is telling us this morning is that our victory that transforms us, that we escape all of that, that we are no longer enslaved to all of that and addicted to all of that, that we are moved away from that, that we have a victory over the shame and over the, the failings of it, that we're stuck, that victory comes because of Jesus. And it comes through this cycle. This cycle only. This is really what eternal life is all about. We don't have time to read the next five or six verses, but you go home and our life groups hopefully we will be able to talk about it this week. But John then says he gives us reasons why we ought to believe in Jesus. There's the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ and his baptism, and ultimately that that is eternal life when we have Jesus. That is what it means for you and I today to have eternal life. It means that we believe in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we're born again. There is a love that we have for God that is unlike anything that we've ever experienced before and there's a love that we especially have for His children. There is an obedience for the first time that our life begins changing radically and we have victory over this thing called life, over this crazy world. You see, when you have that eternal life within you and God saves you, there is a purpose that you all of a sudden live for that's much greater than what this world offers there's a hope that you have. There is a security in the middle of this. What John is trying to help us to wrestle with is says, guys, I want you to know that you really know that you are forgiven of your sins and you have a relationship with God. So he's saying, examine in your faith, examine your heart, see where you really are. When this is what your faith looks like, When your faith is not just something that you believe, facts about Jesus, but it's someone that you have committed your life to, that you've surrendered yourself to, that that you trust to be your savior and you've surrendered to the point that you live a life of love and obedience, then you are so secure in not just your today, but your tomorrow. See, it's easy as we go through life and as we've been talking you know, about John, John just so squarely hits this whole thing about salvation and what this looks like so clearly. It's easy to go through you know, seasons of doubting and, 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 and whatnot. And there's when we're doubting in our salvation, there's only one or two things. Either we really don't know Jesus, we really don't have true, genuine faith, or we do and we've either forgotten it or the enemy is accusing in our ear, and we are wallowing and we're rolling around in that. And that is so paralyzing and so destructive to our spiritual vitality and so destructive because God in heaven wants us to know where we stand with him. He wants our faith to be just so clearly authentic and for us to clearly trust and know him and to live fully in light of that and he wants us to get to this point to where we live our life in victory. All the other things, the other four things we've been talking about, all this whole book we've been bumping into the left and right, the victory part is new. What God wants for you and for me is to live a life in this world that we have a victory in the world around us. Is it not easy to live defeated? Is it not, do you run into defeats during the week? I do. I'm not just talking about falling into sin or temptation, but I mean just things that I just like, oh god, this is terrible. I hear stuff that I think this is awful. And it just it just it I feel defeated in that moment. And then I face other things where I do fall into temptation and I feel defeated and I face other realities and I think, god, is there, you know, where is this thing going and what's the hope? And I just and what Jesus is telling us, what God is telling us through John is that our life as his children is marked by complete absolute victory over all of this stuff in this life. That means we value things that this world does not offer. It means we look at things that this world in ways that this world doesn't look at quite the same exact way. We live even differently than that. That's the victory of what it means to live authentic genuine faith. You can go to the next next slide. This is what authentic faith really looks like. You take away any of those five things and you really don't have authentic faith. Now let me tell you a couple of substitutes. Go to the next slide. There are some in a Christian faith that truly have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they truly are born from above. They're born again. They're born anew. God has saved them. They put their surrendered faith in Jesus. But instead of living a life out of truly loving God and loving people, they, they love God and they love people. But over time, their Christian walk has become more about knowing stuff, knowing the Bible, knowing all of the stuff they even can even give themselves to theology and knowledge becomes their greatest value in fact they focus more on that than really the motivation of love they focus more on the knowledge than they do on the doing and when that brand of christianity comes around and we we begin to follow that our life becomes more about conformity we begin to conform our lifestyle to what That Christian brand looks like, whatever church we're going to and whatever we're attending. And we become more conformists than we do really living out a life radically that follows and loves Jesus. And what happens next is there is no victory over the world and over sin. Because you see, when you and I sit around and our biggest goal as Christians is just to know stuff and to study and to know the facts, but we're not really focusing on the love side as a motivation that leads us to obedience, that that leads us out to doing and we miss that so often, then really what happens is is on the outside we conform to a Christian-like lifestyle. We look like a Christian many days and we can talk like it because we know a whole lot of stuff and we know a lot about God and the Bible. But inside, our sins are still a mess and there's secret hidden sins that are in there because we're truly not loving and obeying from our heart and we really don't have that victory. That's why in in some Christian churches that teach and preach and share the gospel, all of a sudden somebody looks like a wonderful Christian, all of a sudden you discover this stuff that you never knew. Why? Because there is a life of conformity and there was not the full victory going on in their heart over sin. That's Christian legalism. Are they truly saved? Yes, but are they truly living the eternal life the way God wants it? No. That could be called a lot of things. I'm calling it immature faith here. It's a weak faith. It's a sick faith. It's a distorted faith. They really do know Jesus, but subtly over time, they miss that the Great Commission, we're told to to introduce people to Jesus, to make them disciples, which is evangelism, and we're told to teach people not to know, but to obey what God told us to do. And John, this is all about obeying. It's about life decisions. It's about uh, a life change, not about the stuff that we know, but about the stuff that we do. Well, Sean, are you saying theology is bad? No, I'm not saying that at all. Are you saying knowing the Bible's bad? No, I'm not saying that at all. They are tools to get us to life obedience. And when we stop short at the tool, we kind of become like the contractor, or like, you know, guys, let's be really honest. When you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or the hardware store, don't things turn your head. And I'm thinking most of you men now, some of you ladies are like, Sean, it turns my head too. you can jump into ladies if it's your thing, but honestly, right? I mean, we, we we like the tools, but how foolish is, would it be for us to buy all the tools and nail guns and all of the stuff and never do anything with it and never build anything with it? Go try that at home and see what your wife does, you know, guys, if you go out and spend all this money on things and, you know, six months later, she's like, uh, I see that you bought some wood and I see you bought a brand new hammer and, you know, you got a new nail gun and you got all this stuff, but..." I don't have a shed like where's my shed you know uh, it doesn't go too well that's what happens here is that we're studying and we're knowing and we're gathering but we're not really living out what our Lord tells us now there's a second um, another series that I want to show you and this is really what counterfeit faith looks like go to the next one In counterfeit faith people believe the facts about Jesus. It's it's really not a surrendering to Jesus. These people are very religious and spiritual as Christians. They believe in in God. They believe the fact that Jesus died and on the cross that he rose again, But, but not to the degree that they really... he is really their Savior, that they really are casting themselves on them for salvation. And instead of truly being born by God, their focus is more about being a member of that church or that denomination. And that's really what it's all about. And they know stuff, but in this one, it's not so much knowing the Bible or knowing theology as much as it is knowing the traditions and knowing the things of that church or that denomination. And rather than conforming, they really more adhere to that that particular Christian faith. So they're identified as that, and it's, sometimes it's a picking and choosing of the things that the church or that uh, group might teach, and they might adhere to many of it, but not all of it, and, and very often they don't pretend to say, you know, if you ask them, would you really live that out seven days a week? No, not really, <laughs> but I do go to church on this day, and I do do that thing. They're adherents. So that also leads to no victory as well, And that's really what religion is all about. Their their knowledge that they focus on are their traditions and the teachings of the church more than the Bible itself. And there's an adherence to those things and its religion. And that's ultimately what counterfeit faith looks like. And what John is telling us, guys, is that's not the real deal either. The real deal goes final slide, that really brings us genuine life change is this. It's that we believe and put our trust in Jesus as our Messiah Savior. We're born of God. Out of that flows an incredible love that's unlike anything we'd ever experienced before towards God and others. And out of that, for the first time, we actually can obey, want to obey, and more and more as we live our life, we do obey. And it's not a burden in us. It's not a burden to us. And as we obey him, we experience increasingly victory in the life around us. Sean, why did you take time to walk us through it? Well, it's actually a graphical picture of what John did for us. If you go back and read it, all those dots connect because he finishes up in verse five and six. It says, what's our victory? But it's our faith. (laughs) And who has a victory? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a cycle here that he has just given us. So here's what I want you to think about this morning. Number one, do you have this authentic faith or not? Have you really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ or not? Are you really born of God or not? Do you really have a love relationship in your soul for the God of heaven and for those kids of his or not? Do you really have an obedience in every area of your life or not? Because when we really know the God of heaven, this is where the cycle leads us. Are you living in victory or not? So if you're not living in victory, then it might be that one of those other two scenarios is more the reality. Maybe it's the first one where you really are truly saved, but you really have subtly shifted from living a life of loving God and loving others to really a life that you know a lot. And you've really moved it from not just obeying God deeply in all the things, but really conforming to that Christian lifestyle. And if that's where you are, and you're not living in victory over the world, the solution isn't trying to have victory. The solution isn't going back and trying to obey. The solution's actually coming back to you and saying, God, I don't love you enough. That's actually where my problem is. And I'm not living the people around you enough either. So don't step on that landmine. I hope that came, you picked up on that. If you're struggling to live victorious in the Christian life and in the world around us, you need to backtrack the flow to where the problem first began. If your sewer line gets plugged downstream, you got to figure out where the problem first happened. Does that make sense? So go back to love Now maybe the second cycle, maybe that is you where you're not living a victory and you're not really, oh, Sean, I really do struggle. I'm not sure about a lot of the stuff that God tells us not to do. I'm not there. You need to back up to, well, where's the love? You need to actually back up all the way to believe And it's more than just believing facts, it's stop believing and trusting in your goodness, and instead it's trusting in Jesus as your savior. Stop trusting in you being the savior, trust in him and ask the God of heaven to save you. So wherever you are on these cycles, I wanna challenge you to think about the area that you need to address. Maybe you're acting out of love but you're still immature in your faith and you're struggling with that obedience word. And you're just like, I don't like some of this. I've lived that life. I, by the way, I've lived that first, that bad cycle, that first one. That was me for many years, many, many years. But maybe you are okay up to the point of obedience, but obedience, there's just stuff in your life that you're just like, God, I resent having to do this. Well, confess that admit that it's immaturity, and ask God to do something in your heart. And maybe none of that's touching you, and maybe all of that is good in your life, and I pray that that's reality, then I want you to turn and think about the people in your life, the ones you love, your family, your friends. It's easy to talk about Jesus, it's easy to talk about faith, but if their faith doesn't equal this, they really don't have Jesus, and they really need him. And the solution to that is not you and me just acting ignorantly and thinking, oh, it'll be okay, they're all good to go. That's kind of foolish. That's kind of like getting diagnosed with cancer and thinking it's all gonna work out. Instead, I encourage you to begin praying for them and begin asking God for help to know how how to talk to them, how to invest in them, how to engage them, how to invite them so that they can begin to experience this as well. How many of you have known, here's a, a test, and, and I'm just about done, so our music team's gonna come up here in just a second, but how many of you have known somebody who is not in your immediate family, so in other words, if you're, if you're married, not your spouse or your kids, but somebody outside of your, or your mom or dad, somebody outside of your family, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody else who did not know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and you knew them before they knew Christ, and you watched them as they took those steps spiritually and became a Christian. Maybe you talked to them, maybe you shared the gospel with them, maybe you invited them to church, maybe they did something else, but how many of you have somebody like that that you could point to in your, in your life and however long you've lived? Okay, stick, it, stick them up high, so a bunch, yep. So quite a few, maybe maybe a quarter. So how many of the rest of you would like to have at least somebody like that? Raise your hand. Seriously? Yeah, I would too. I'd like to have even more like I could stick all my hands up here, right? So this morning, I I just just really honestly and transparently, I look at my own extended family, my friends, my neighbors and co workers and it's painful for me at times to think about where they are spiritually. It hurts. Makes me sad. It hurts. Good people, but I know there's a counterfeit faith in their lives. So I have one or two options. I can either ignore all of that and just go around life acting like I can't do anything about it and there's no hope. And one day when I die, Jesus is gonna look at me and he's gonna be like, yo. I mean he's really not gonna say yo, he's gonna be like, I put you in that family and in that neighborhood and in that office for a reason. Why did you just shut that off? Because it hurt. You see, it's painful. That's why the Bible talks about sowing in tears. You and I need to be willing to hurt for some of our friends and our family because without that, we're not gonna be motivated to do anything to engage them. If their faith doesn't look like this, it's not real and they have no hope this Easter without Christ so that's why I genuinely I asked you to pick up a card you know at the very least invite some of those people so that they might have a chance to hear if you've got the gift of hospitality be hospitable and there in your life with them if you've got the gift of evangelism which probably only one of you two in the whole room might have that then share the gospel with them just you know go and, but however God has invested in you, turn around and invest in others. Because the God of heaven wants to use you to change this in other people's lives. That's why he has us on this earth. So whatever God has spoken in your heart about whether or not you need to deal with your own soul, or whether you need to think about the souls of the others around you, I'm gonna ask our music team to come up. and We're gonna sing or have a response song. It's really a chance for us to just think about Uh, what, what we're sensing and what God's talking to us about. So pray with me while they come up, would you? Father, I'm grateful for the Lord Jesus. I'm grateful that he died for us. Father, thank you for making the gospel so simple and clear. Lord, the counterfeits are incredible. I know even after looking at that website, if I were to see and hold a counterfeit $100 bill, a good one, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. God, the enemy has so fooled so many with a counterfeit faith. I pray, I pray that each and every person here this morning would truly know Christ and truly have eternal life as this has been shared. And as you shared in John, Lord, give us victory. Father, thank you that as we live out our love relationship with you and we obey you more and more, more and more, we have that victory, that purpose, that joy, that life, that meaning, that forgiveness, that removal of shame, that peace, all of that that comes from a relationship with you. And Lord, help us to turn around and have a compassion. Help our be willing for our hearts to break for those around us that need you. Lord, would you motivate us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.